ask that you take, take the Word of God and open it to John chapter 9 this morning, John chapter 9. I'm going to be looking there at the first 17 verses and bleed over into the rest of the chapter as well. In fact, as we begin, we will read uh, the chapter, John chapter 9, verse 1 to 41. I'd like to ask that if you are able, that you would stand out of reverence for the Word of God as we read it. This morning from John chapter 9, let us hear what the Holy Spirit has inspired, the holy, uh, infallible, perfect word of God written for us. John 9, beginning in verse number 1, states this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to them, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered then, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? 
And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he has come from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look to your word. We come to you in humble dependence upon your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning from your word that is living and active. So Father, we pray that by this text that you would teach us, that you would point us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to see our need of you, each and every one of us. Help us to see, Lord, that we indeed are spiritually blind and that we need Jesus Christ to give us life, to give us sight. Father, we pray that you would speak and encourage and build us up from your word. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. We may be seated. This morning we come to the third of our four-part series on miraculous signs that in John's gospel that point us to who Jesus is, the person and the work of Jesus. As we have seen already, I'll read it again, John gives us the overall framework of this book and why he is writing this book at the very end. He states, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In this sign in John chapter 9, just like the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw last week and Jesus is turning water into wine the week before that, they are all written to show us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one from God. He is sent from God to this earth to do the work that God has sent him to do. He is the one, brothers and sisters, that we are to believe in. As we know in this world, with all the different beliefs in our day and age, with all the different beliefs of how we come to God, or even believe that there is a God, these signs are given 
so that you and I will believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that only he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Today, may, to those of you who are younger, just speak to you directly here for just a moment. Kids, teenager, teenagers, the world is calling out to you, teaching you various things through the music you hear, the things you see, your phone, all these various things. The world is, is calling out to you, speaking to you. Many of the things it says is the most important thing is for you to be true to yourself to feel free to express yourself however you so choose, that if a, a person thinks it's right for them to do something, then, then it is right, it must be right. No guarding or guiding hard and fast rules for what is right and for what is wrong. We could go on and on in these things. These signs that Jesus performed are here to speak into that. To say, listen to this one who has authority. Listen to what this one says about God and how to come to God. Look at what he has done to bring about the forgiveness of sins and to follow after him in obedience. We must each make a reckoning of the things that we see in the Bible, in particular today, what Jesus does with this sign that he performs to point to who he is. To those who are older and maybe having been following Jesus, maybe for just a month, maybe a decade, decades, these signs confirm to us that Jesus is the one we should believe and live in obedience to. That in the hardships of life, in the continual battle against sin that is ever present and indwelling in our lives that we fight and we fight and we fight against, those sinful desires called to put them to death, these verses are there to teach us the fight is worth it. The fight is worth it because of who Jesus is. These signs, this sign points us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one sent from God and they are historical facts. These things really occurred, as we'll see in this chapter, uh, as we read it, through multiple investigations by the Pharisees, there really was a man born blind who received his sight. Kind of the funny thing about it is, uh, and, and, and actually the Pharisees tried to disprove that this man had received his sight, and by their actions of trying to disprove it, they actually prove that this man really did receive his sight, because they thoroughly go through asking and asking questions to see how this could be the case. So John has been weaving things that we're gonna see in chapter nine through this book, uh, and he's weaving those into this account as well, proclaiming of, he's reaching back into the Old Testament saying, grabbing passages saying, this is what the day of the coming of the Messiah would be like, the coming of the Savior. There's things that the Old Testament point to that tell us about him, these signs are just that. They're a big finger pointing, saying, this is the one, Jesus is our savior. Various passages from Isaiah, just listen to them in this light. It says, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open 
I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. In this chapter, John points both to the healing of the blind man and also the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. This chapter shows us he is the anointed one. He is sent from the Father. And as we will see, not just physical sight, but also spiritual sight is given. We'll mention uh, much in this passage. We'll go through breaking these uh, verses down in various ways. We'll spend, don't worry, when we're halfway through and still on the first point or two, it's okay. It'll go quick after that. We're going to look at the first 17 verses and then make some comments about those coming after it. I think there's much for us to learn in this chapter. So in the first verses, we see verse one to five, this meeting that occurs. We're introduced to the man born blind and the discussion that arises among the disciples and Jesus. You can kind of picture the scene if we just slow down for a moment. Verse number one says, and as he passed by, and if we're going off the end of the last chapter, they're seeking to stone Jesus. So this is some, they're definitely passing by, they're leaving, they're going to another place. It says, as they passed by, probably in Jerusalem, he saw a man blind from birth. This is Jesus here. So they're walking is with his disciples, more, more people than just his disciples, most likely with him. And Jesus stops and he simply looks at a person who is sitting there, most likely begging. This man that was blind from birth. And once again, in these miraculous series that we've been looking at, we are confronted with the compassion and the all-seeing eyes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He knows what he is about to do and he sets his sight on someone that everybody else looks over. And he sets his sights upon him. And, and we're not told, he's, he's probably literally paused looking at him. And his disciples stop, what's Jesus looking at? And they look over and they see, here's a man that's been born blind. He's probably begging. And so the disciples, ever asking questions, they raise a question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the assumption that stands behind the disciples' question is, suffering and illness are the direct consequence of a specific sin. Okay, that's kind of what's going on in their mind. This man was born blind. Uh, they're, they're probably thinking his uh, uh, illness was a direct result of his parents' sin. We even see the same assumption played out in verse 34, as we read, where the Pharisees make a personal attack on this man and they tell him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? They're not having, uh, they're not thinking their original sin, saying that you were born in original sin. No, they're referencing the belief that this blind man suffered as a direct result of his sin. Or you, you're a sinner, you're born in sin, obviously. Now, as we think about this, we must be biblical in speaking about it. The Bible does teach that it is possible that sickness can be a direct result of someone's sin. We, we see examples of that in the scripture. Just consider one, uh, the biblical example from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, Paul uh, says there, some in the church are weak and ill and some have died. 
Why? Because they took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It was a direct result. It was a one-to-one. We see other examples of that in Scripture. So this could be the case, but what we learn from Jesus here is, and what the Bible clearly teaches elsewhere, that this is not always a direct connection. In time, many times in a fallen world, it is not. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents' sin brought on this illness. So there's not a direct connection. The disciples are thinking a lot like Job's quote-unquote comforters here. For some 30-odd chapters, they argued with Job that his suffering was directly correlated to a specific sin that he had committed. What is beautiful in this passage, though, is that Jesus does tell us why this man was born blind. You see what he states? That the works of God might be displayed in him. We know what is to follow. This man will be healed He's going to be a living testimony that points to the reality of who Jesus is. We think about his age. We don't know his age. We know his parents says he's of age. Ask him because we don't want to get kicked out. Um, And so that's that's probably the age of 13-ish, give or take, around in there. So let's just uh, round up and say he was 20. And say this, this, this guy was 20. Just kidding, 10. We'll say 20. 20, 25. But just think about that for just a minute. This man who had been blind was sitting there. Jesus comes and he teaches the disciples an amazing truth, a hard truth, but a life-changing truth. And that is this, that God allows hardships to come into our lives so that, that he might be glorified in them. God allows hardships to come into our lives so that he might be glorified in them. From the time of this young man's birth, he was never able to see. Just pause and think about the events and the hardships of this young man's life. Just think about them. The man never knew what it was like to see his mother, his mother's face, to see his family, obviously to see the world. This person could not work like those around him worked. Instead, he was given over to a life of begging, of sitting day in and day out, asking for money. Having friends or family members take him from home to the place he needed to beg. Having others to give him food. Having others to help him find the bathroom. This man lived a life of struggles and this man lived a life of trials. But the point that Jesus is teaching here in this is God had a plan in it all. There was purpose in it. That is something that we need to hear, that God has a plan. I'm not saying these things, I want you to hear me, I'm not saying these things in a frivolous way or saying these things lightly because we're talking about serious things here, hard trials, hard suffering. Many of you in this room have gone through very hard, hard trials and suffering. But listen, God is teaching us from this passage that God has a plan in it. He is sovereign over it. Our difficulties are not random. God will use it. The point is to trust in him. 
Don't hang your hopes on understanding or seeing the reason why. Hang your hats and your hopes on the truth that God knows why. Remember, Job never read the book of Job. Job never read chapter 1. He never knew the background with which Satan was testing him. We're privy to that as we read that and we see his life through the lens of chapter 1. The point is we ourselves can't see and know most of the time, I would say over 98% of the time, what God is doing with suffering and difficult circumstances. The point this passage makes 100% clear though is God has a plan in it 100% of the time. It isn't random, it isn't without purpose. We can trust in him. We can trust in him. Many times, as we see in this chapter, we know the blind man is going to receive his sight. And it's very clear, isn't it? That this man was born blind. In fact, Jesus says it so that the works of God might be, uh, it might be glorified in him, that you see who I am. There's a, a direct connection to say his uh, blindness is here because God is going to be glorified in it and he receives his sight. But that's not the case in our lives many times. We go through suffering, but we will know argue to some degree on the other side when Christ returns. The point is that we're to trust in Christ that he is doing something in it. I think it's just so instructive for us to see this blind person here and what Jesus teaches him and what he teaches us, that God is doing a work. This man had been blind maybe 20 some odd years. All his difficulty, God had a purpose in it to glorify himself. And that same principle is true, brothers and sisters, for us. Jesus continues teaching here in verses four and five that he came to do the work of the Father that the Father had sent him to do. In verse four, Jesus is saying, we have work to do while I am still with you. He says, while it is still day, night is coming. That refers to the cross. When no one can work, that refers to when Jesus will conclude his first coming. This is not referencing the time after his ascension when the Holy Spirit will be given to continue the work. And Jesus states in verse five that he is the light of the world. This continues the same theme brought up in chapter eight where Jesus teaches on himself being the light. Also many prophetic texts from the Old Testament that point to the coming savior as light, light into darkness, the light of God into the sinful darkness of this world. So this healing is not just a miracle, it is that, but it is also a sign. It is a sign given to point us to who Jesus is. He has come to give light to a sinful, dark world. This miracle also teaches us about suffering and the purposes of God and God's purposes in it. This thought leads right into the sign as we see in verse six and seven, displays his power through this miracle. This sign again is meant to point us to the one that is doing it and who he is and who he's sent from. In fact, Jesus, it says there in verse number six, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. This is truly a miracle. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. Jesus doesn't always perform his miracles the same way, different ways that he does that, but each miracle points to the truth of who he is. In fact, Jesus drives home that point 
of who he is and where he is from, telling the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is recorded here, says, which means sent. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that he is the sent one. He is from the Father. That flows right after the thought of chapter 8 with him teaching and getting in all sorts of trouble as he speaks there about being from the Father. So these verses speak into that, and Jesus is showing us that he has come to do the work of the Father. He is restoring what is broken. He is bringing healing. He is giving sight. Verses 8 to 34 record the various interactions this man has with uh, the healings that he went through and, and uh, those people as he interacts with them. See various sections and paragraphs here of that interaction in verses 8 to 34. Can you imagine this blind man coming back home from the pool? <laughs> Even maybe his trepidation and going, hey, here's somebody that's been, maybe he had heard about the healings that Jesus had done. Maybe he went with anticipation to the pool, but no matter what, he obeyed the word of God and the word of God came true. And so he went to the pool, he received his sight. It's, it's probably impossible for us to know the joy of this man as he came back from the spot in Jerusalem to tell his family, to tell his mother, to tell his father, if it had siblings, to be able to tell his siblings about what had happened. Years of literal darkness, now seeing, seeing the light, seeing his family, seeing the things he had been hearing all his life, the things he had been tasting. Some of these people could hardly recognize him. We see that in verse eight. Some, is, this a, is this the right person? Things like this don't happen every day. I'm sure the countenance of this man changed as well. And they're like, it kind of looks like him, but man, he looks different as well. You know, he's born blind and people who are born blind just don't all of a sudden start seeing. So how in the world, what is going on? And in verse 10 to 12, he answers the neighbors as to what happened to him. This man, as he says, he says, I don't even know where Jesus is. And in verse 13 and following, they take the man to the Pharisees. Doesn't seem like there's any ill will here. The neighbors didn't know that what caused him to get kicked out of the synagogue. They wanted them to know and see, especially Jesus as he performed these signs. So the man explained again what took place and how Jesus healed him in these verses. The response of the Pharisees, they were divided, weren't they? One part of them said Jesus couldn't be from God. There's that theme again that's being brought up. How can he be from God? He isn't sent from the Father. Why? Because Jesus did these things on the Sabbath day. He did these healings. He broke the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath, making mud with his spit. Now, where did you get that? I missed that in the Old Testament. Well, it came from the oral tradition that had been handed down over time in the time period of Moses. And as that oral tradition passed down, they embraced the written word of the Old Testament, but they also embraced this oral tradition that was handed down in applying Old Testament texts, in particular the Sabbath. Lots of rules on what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. This one that he had broken had to do with needing, I assume. As a, I would imagine the most application of that is you're, you're making bread or something and that would be considered work. I don't think many people, maybe the kids were out there making mud balls and throwing them at each other and they'd get in trouble for breaking the Sabbath. But here Jesus makes mud and so they're, it seems like getting on him for kneading. Therefore, Jesus wasn't sent from God. It's always kind of 
comical in some sort of way as you see these things. Like here is somebody who has been blind from birth and he's been healed by somebody putting mud on his eyes and now he sees and you're gonna talk about the spittle and the mud that he made and said, how can he be from God? He, he broke the Sabbath by kneading some mud. Just a lesson and a principle there, I think, for us. You usually get into trouble when you hold things the Bible doesn't explicitly command as being on par with the Bible. But others among them said, how would a sinner be able to do such a thing? That's a very good question. It's a question that needs answered. A little division broke out among the Pharisees on how this could be. And in verse 17, they asked the man who had been healed what he thought. He states here, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And what follows is an investigation by the Pharisees. So in their minds, no way this could happen. No way this could happen. Maybe there's a, something, something's off here. So they go to the blind man's parents to confirm with them what happened. The parents, as we see, they're fearful of being kicked out of the synagogue, of being disciplined for confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the one sent from the Father. So they use a loophole and say, the son is of age, ask him for yourself. We know he was born blind and we know he now sees, but you're going to have to ask him about Jesus. It's at this point, and we see they're actually, they are confirming what they are actually trying to deny that this person had received their sight. By their investigation, they're clearly teaching us, look, this really happened. He has received his sight. And it's at this point in the passage where we begin to see the faith of the healed blind man become strong. And in these verses that follow and conclude the section, we see John doing something that he often does in this gospel, and that is he takes a physical reality and teaches us a spiritual truth. He takes a physical reality and teaches us a spiritual truth. It is the one who is physically blind who can spiritually see. And it's those who can physically see as he's equating with being spiritually blind. The blind man confesses his faith in Jesus. Those who could see are actually blind because they do not see their need of Jesus. The faith of the blind man grows from what we see in the beginning of the passage to where he makes these beautiful statements before the religious leaders as he goes forth. They're really beautiful, aren't they? Trusting in Jesus and seeing what he's done and having faith in him kind of gives you a backbone against people that seek to come and dismiss who he is and what he has done. Verse 25, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And then in verse 30, he really gets um, a little defiant uh, to them. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and he opened my eyes. And then he kind of goes on to say, how can this even be? How come you're the religious leaders and you don't know this? He believes that Jesus is sent from God, and that's what this passage is teaching us again. He's sent from God. He has performed the miracle. Brings us to the last section, the conclusion, verse 35 and following. As the early church father, John Chrysostom, stated, the Jews cast him out of the temple, and the Lord of the temple found him. Jews cast him out of the temple, but the actual Lord of the temple came to him. The religious leaders 
kicked him out. But Jesus, the temple came to him. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? In John's gospel, the phrase son of man especially emphasizes that Jesus is the revelation of God to man. As D.A. Carson states, a commentator, he says, Jesus himself is the word incarnate, the one who uniquely reveals God. And that phrase here, the son of man, is touching on that point. And this blind man believed in Jesus. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I believe in who you are. Do you believe in the son of man? Who is he? It is I, Jesus said. And he believed. You know, belief is such a beautiful thing, a way to understand belief. It's not like a, 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 a mysticism type of thing or a mystery. Belief is simply believing what God says. God says that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Do you, do you believe God in that or do you disagree? Or do you maybe think he's offered just try to ignore him in that? Belief is just taking God at his word that Jesus is the Christ. If you believe in him, you will have life. Your sins will be forgiven. Belief says, yes, God, that is true. I believe you. I believe what you say. I believe in who you are. And that always leads to worship. It leads to worship. Jesus teaches us about salvation and why he came. Verse 39, he says, for judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Again, there's the um, spiritual reality that's coming about through a physical reality. The blind refers to those who are in spiritual darkness. They are lost and they know they are lost. Jesus came to give them sight. But those who, meaning those who think they can see and do not see their sin are actually blind and lost. This is what Jesus is also referring to in verse 41 there, where he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Meaning, if you realized your guilt and your sin, then you would be forgiven. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Meaning, you think you see and have no need of Jesus, therefore your guilt remains upon you. What is your stance towards Jesus today? How do you come to him in your mind and in your life? Are you coming admitting your blindness, your sin, your need of him? Is that your stance for how you come to Jesus? Your, your attitude, your perspective? Say, I am coming as a blind person, admitting my blindness, admitting your sin, admitting your need of Jesus? Or do you think to yourself, I see things pretty clearly. I, th I think I've got to, I mean, I, I see how things kind of work in life and I think I can see that. I think I, I can see, I just, I just live to be a pretty good person and things will work out for me in the end. Um, that seems to make, make sense to me. The thing about it is here that we see, we must see our blindness and our need 
for Jesus and for him to come to us and give us sight. The thing about growth in the Christian life is it has a lot to do with seeing more and more how really sinful you are and how desperately you actually need Jesus. We don't get away from that in our Christian walk. It's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? We actually grow in our Christian walk by seeing more and more how sinful we are. <laughs> New depths of our sin. Actually, you can say going forward is going back down into our sin. You see our need. The more you see that, the more actually you grow in the Christian life. See our sin more of more, which leads us to say, I need Jesus more and more in my life. Growth in the Christian life is being able to state and sing with joy, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. It's Jesus who has given me sight. Will you come to him? Will you come to him today if you are not believing in Jesus? If you say, I, I don't know what it means really to have my sins forgiven, will you come to Jesus? As the Bible states, believe that he came and died on the cross for your sin. He's, he's the perfect lamb of God who has redeemed his people. He died on the cross for us in our place to take our punishment. That might sound weird. How can that happen? You might be thinking, how can my sin that I committed now some 2,000 years ago be forgiven by the act of a person? Well, God said it. That's, that's how we can believe it. That's, that's belief, right? This is what God says. God says, believe in Jesus and you will be forgiven. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is what we are about here in Redeeming Grace. As Pastor Adam even prayed in his prayer that we'd be unified around that truth, around the gospel. The gospel would be what unites us. That is what we are here for. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he lived a perfect life and that he was raised on the third day victorious and that he comes and he gives us salvation and he changes us and he makes us like himself. Come to Jesus, believe in him. Even here is in a moment where we'll be able to take communion and have communion here shortly after the service. It's that picture that picture of visible gospel for us of the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was spilt for us to say, I believe in Jesus, I trust in him. Will you give your life to trusting in him, confessing in him and growing and keeping the course and keeping the fight? John has given us such a clear sign in this chapter. Jesus is the anointed one sent by the Father to give sight to the blind. Trust Jesus in your sorrows, in your trials. Realize from this text of this beggar and all that he went through, they are not random. Jesus has a purpose in them. Apply that truth to the struggles you are currently facing. Remember, God allows hardships to come into our lives so that he might be glorified in them. 
be asking that question, God, how might you be glorified in this, this difficulty that I face? Confess your need for sight. Confess your spiritual blindness. Accept Jesus and accept his word. The blind beggar of John 9 is our example. Jesus has come to give sight to those who are spiritually blind, those who are lost in darkness. Come to Jesus. Confess your need of him and come for the forgiveness of sins. As John states, but these are written, these signs, this sign, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word that points us to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to do. Father, we thank you for this sign of John chapter nine, the power of our Savior Jesus to open eyes of a man blind from birth. You are sovereign over the cosmos. Father, we thank you for this sign that points us to the reality that through Jesus Christ, though we are blind, though we are lost, though we are in darkness, we might see, we might come into the light as we trust in the promises of our Savior. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity now that we have in obedience to our Savior to remember him and hope in him through the Lord's Supper. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.